It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Tom Shalhoub. I'm Maria Bartiromo, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, July 25th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Are UFOs really out of this world? There's a hearing tomorrow in Congress that aims to expose the truth. You know, we're not going to parade in a bunch of little green men or flying saucers, but we want the people who have seen it, who have firsthand knowledge, who have the credentials that can talk about it. I'm Lisa Brady. A long, hot summer on the picket lines, and now there's a countdown to a possible UPS strike. We've got a lot of labor unrest, and that doesn't sit well with the American public in general, I think. People don't like to see that and have their economy gummed up. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of puts the president, as I said, a little bit rock in a hard place. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. What if E.T really did phone home. The truth is out there. The X-Files always told us that on TV. And tomorrow, in Congress, there will be a hearing on what's called unidentified anomalous phenomena. Updated terminology these days for UFOs. I'll be looking to share just how big of a problem this has become for other military aviators and commercial aviators as well. Ryan Graves is a former U.S. Navy pilot who plans to testify about close encounters of an unexplained kind. We are seeing these in the space domain, the air domain, underwater. Graves tells Fox he and another former pilot will testify about what they've seen and what's been recorded on video. Objects, primarily spheres, uh, that were traveling anywhere from a completely stationary and very high winds to uh, order of Mach 2. Doing things that are not believed possible with human technology. In fact, another witness claims the conspiracy theories are true. The government does have an alien spacecraft in secret storage somewhere. Really, I'm just hoping to uh, open the floodgates, and that's really what we've done. That's Congressman Tim Burchett from Tennessee, the Republican who will lead tomorrow's hearing in the House Oversight Committee. We're not going to bring in a flying saucer or a little green man, but we have <laughs> we literally have decorated veterans who are really just risking their whole careers by coming out of their legacy, more or less to talk about these things. We've had these pilots that have seen objects and, you know, and then they come back, of course, and I've said military intelligence is a lot like congressional ethics. It really doesn't exist, but the military intelligence will under whistleblower protection will, uh, they, they say they debrief them, but they really interrogate them up to eight hours. I've been told. And, you know, they get a blemish on their record. They get taken off the flight line for that amount of time. And, um, you know, I've talked to pilots who've said we've literally destroyed evidence because we don't want to be put in front of that interrogation anymore. We know what we've seen. And the Pentagon's talking out of both sides of their mouth. One side, they say they don't exist. And then when I propose a little piece of legislation that says if airline pilots see something in the air that's suspicious, that they report it to the FAA, that they have to report that to Congress, well, guess what? They blocked it. The intelligence community, so to speak, blocked that amendment 
to the FAA reauthorization. So something's obviously going on. We've got a real uphill battle the whole way. The American public deserves to know. Okay. Now, now, um, Congressman, you talk about that it's tough to get anyone who wants to talk. Who have you gotten that's going to be there on Wednesday to testify? The three gentlemen that we have are, um, one is the recent whistleblower that, that came out and said, in fact, that we have craft, which is what's been rumored for decades. That would be um, David Grush. He's decorated combat officer from Afghanistan. And I know a decorated combat officer in, um, in Washington, D.C. doesn't mean a whole lot. But I'll tell you what, in, in, in Tennessee, it means a heck of a lot. David Fravor is a former Navy commander. He will also testify along with Ryan Graves, who's a former Navy pilot. Now, those two, yes, they, they claim that they've witnessed this phenomena or a UFO or whatever, right? Correct. The problem with this is, in the beginning, they said that these did not exist. These um, videos did not exist. And then when they came out, they said, oh, they're fakes. And then they were forced to say, in fact, no, these are legit. This is real. And yet it's, it, you know, 60 Minutes did a expose on it. One of the big New York newspapers did something on it. And then, um, you know, it kind of just fell off everybody's radar screen, no pun intended. But to me, and, you know, and I, and I get it. I, I'm approached by members of powerful members of Congress and say, Burchett, we got more important things to deal with than this. I'm thinking, what is more important than our brave American fighting men and women in a $50 million aircraft have documented over 14 near misses with these aircraft and something we do not control in our own military airspace? To me, that is that that is very important. And we it's UFOs, it's Congressman. So, this is something that people have been fascinated by, these things. Movies have been made. Books have been written. Countless series done on this stuff. People watch and interest. They're interested in this. This is not like, oh, Congress is passing a bill this week. How interesting. This is UFOs. Yeah, yeah and I've had inquiries from all over the world. I regularly am on the news in England. I was contacted by Israel this weekend. It's just, it's all over the world that is watching this hearing. And, you know, it, I know I'm over the target because every every opportunity has been made to discredit this or to slow us down. We weren't even in the, the major press room for our press conference. And I was tipped off by a member of the media who could see what was going on. And I didn't know. And so we we got that moved. Um, we've had we've had roadblocks. We've had people back out because of um, I won't say threats, but I'll just say inquiries from uh, government officials pressure you know, perhaps. pressure yes sir i flew down to um, florida eglin air force base i was told i was going to get to interview some pilots in a secure briefing a skiff you know it's the james bond thing where you got to take off your cell phone and your fitbit right. i don't wear a fitbit i don't have any of that garbage but um <laughs> but anyway so we go into this meeting myself matt gates and um representative luna they're both from florida She's a veteran. Her husband's combat wounded, just shot to hell. And then we go down there and they're get briefing us on some pretty terrifying stuff, but nothing having to do with UFOs. And, uh, you know, said, hey, this is not what we came down here for. We were told and the general basically told us, no, you're not going to get to do it. You don't have the credentials. And let me tell you, as a member of Congress, I have the credentials. And the other thing I have in Congress is the government's checkbook. And we've got to start exhibiting that in all this garbage that's going on in Washington. We've got to let, you know, the tail is wagging the dog right now, especially with this issue, because we've been stonewalled and stonewalled. And the American public needs to know. And I was, 
I, I sell a T-shirt on my website. It says more people believe in UFOs than believe in Congress. And that's the truth <laughs> because we continuously put up roadblocks. Again, you know, we're not going to parade in a bunch of little green men or flying saucers, but we want the people who have seen it, who have firsthand knowledge, who have the credentials that can talk about it. You know, we saw in Independence Day, Congress, in the movie, we saw finally a president yeah. goes in, sees an alien, you know, in a glass case, sees a UFO, all these things that we've, we've all thought exist in Area 51, wherever it is. But you're going to get testimony from somebody who says that one of these aircraft or whatever it is does exist. What has he told you about it? Well, just that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping he breaks it down a little more. I don't know at what point I worry about um, what people have whispered in his ear to quiet him. He's a very patriotic American. He's a friend of mine. And I, I'm hoping that he comes forth with everything he knows and starts naming names. Imagine if something could just for the sake of, of our own imagination, something could travel at these light, uh, you know, light year speeds that we're seeing that these things are defying the laws of physics, which you see in the Tic Tac videos and can leave no heat trail. What will that do to our energy sector? There's so many other possibilities out there of this, why they're keeping this secret. And again, why do they keep blocking legislation that would uh, open the books on this stuff if they don't exist? Now, there is an astronomer, Stephen Dick, who told Space.com he finds it unlikely the government could keep a secret of this magnitude for this long. And he's not convinced by the blurry Navy videos that these are, you know, E.T. related artificial intelligence, whatever it is, extraterrestrial aircraft. What do you what's because, your reaction? Uh, what do you yeah, think? Because of that? the government doesn't necessarily control much of it anymore. They have passed it out to corporations I would tell you what you ought to do is look at some of the people who block most of this legislation and look at who they're on their financial disclosures in both parties, who their big contributors are. Do a little research on that. And I think it would open your eyes to what I think is a distinct possibility. And, um, you know, I, uh, an astronomer, he's a valid, I mean, obviously he's a scientist, but I'll tell you every night I go out and look at those stars and I think, wow, the light from those stars left there before the time of Christ. And, I, you know, the vastness of God's great universe, do you honestly think we're the best he could do? Do you? <laughs> I don't. I think there's, and, and I'm not afraid of it. Obviously, if something had that technology, they could have done us in, but I'm not afraid of it. Congressman, last year there was a hearing. They said the first one on UFOs in 50 years kind of went across and ended up being a dud. We didn't really get much out of it. What do you that aim to a, get? What do you aim to get out of yours well, on Wednesday? Well, first of all, that wasn't a hearing. That, I mean, it was a hearing, you know, so they could check the box. I was told I was going to get to testify. I was moving towards the stand, and then I was text right right before I was supposed to get up and testify or ask a question. I was going to blister them. Uh, I was told, no, in fact, you will not. It was You had two gentlemen, I'm sure they're patriotic gentlemen, that were in charge of it from the Pentagon. They could not even spell UFO, brother. They didn't have a clue about <laughs> They were just bureaucrats getting a paycheck. They had a video. And of all the people, all the people who asked the best question, it was Adam Schiff. They showed this video that was taken by a cell phone, you know, technologically advanced country in the world. But we're inside of a jet canopy. A guy's t a cell phone takes a, of something going by. And he says it was like a 23 second video. And he said, what exactly am I looking at? Yeah, it was very hard was to see anything in that. You couldn't see anything. You didn't know if you were looking at the shadow or the 
or the uh, obviously it was a I think it was a party balloon or something. But they could not even. And they said, can you slow that down? And I go, no, we can't. Isabel Burchett, my 16 year old daughter, could have stopped that video. But those knuckleheads could not. The most technologically advanced country in the world. That was predetermined, predescribed. That's why the public, we, and I walked off of the press, asked me what I thought. And I said, we got hosed. This is going to be a real hearing with real witnesses that are going to answer questions. And I'll guarantee you this will open the floodgates because other people are coming forward. The hearing is Wednesday. What time, Congressman? 10 o'clock. 10 in the morning on Wednesday at the House Oversight Committee, a hearing into UFOs led by Republican Congressman Tim Burchett from Tennessee. Congressman, thanks very much for joining us. Well, I'll tell you this. As they used to say when they were advertising stuff, they said, we'll rent you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Well, I hope that's we'll the I hope that's the case Wednesday. <laughs> I do, too. Right. I do, too, brother. But it, it's just going to be good. We're going get, to get to the bottom. We're going to get some answers. Thank you so much. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. They're threatening to shut Brown down. No matter how much money you get, if I come to work and I'm treated like trash... That's going to be a problem. So that has to be addressed and fixed. UPS workers hitting some practice picket lines as contract talks head down to the wire. Now less than a week left to avoid a strike on August 1st. And we've got the strongest weapon in our uh, tool case. That's the 340,000 rank and file members that go to work every single day, regardless of conditions, pandemics, etc., who are willing to stand up and fight. Teamsters Union General President Sean O'Brien says a strike would be a risky move for UPS, affecting up to 7% of supply chains in the U.S. UPS said it was prepared to increase its industry-leading pay and benefits when the two sides announced last week that broken-down talks would resume. It's already been a busy summer for strike activity. Sharon Block, executive director of Harvard Law School's Center for Labor and a Just Economy, says a tight labor market is part of it. And I think that sends a signal to workers that they have an unusual, certainly over the past few decades in this country, an unusual moment of leverage to exercise some power on behalf of what they see as uh, getting a fair deal. Talks between UPS and the Teamsters are scheduled to resume today. A UPS strike would be the largest in the U.S. in at least 40 years. Well, I do think it will be bad if it, in fact, comes to fruition. Fox Business's Jeff Flock. You know, the last time there was a uh, a UPS strike was in 1997. Uh, at that time, there were about 16 million packages being delivered every day by all of the shippers. And today, that number is 75 million. Uh, we certainly rely a whole lot more on a package delivery these days, both you know folks at home as well as the businesses. Uh, and, and UPS delivers, they say, about 24 million packages a day currently. Post office does about the same number. FedEx does slightly less, about 16 million. There's no way that the folks at FedEx and the post office and the other competitors can make up for this shortfall. The company says it is trying to 
train non-union employees to, to fill in, but we're talking 340,000 UPS employees that would be affected by this strike, and it looks like they're pretty strong. They're pretty solid that all of them, or the, certainly the lion's share of them, would go out. So if you're relying on shipments, I don't think there's any way that you, you make up for the loss of that kind of shipment. And so, you know, today the economy runs on uh, deliveries, and if you take uh, a good chunk of those away, uh, it's not hard to see how the economy would come, whether to a screeching halt, but certainly would slow down. And I guess we're not really just talking about individual packages, right? Things that people are ordering or sending to each other. Um, when we talk about the economic ripple effects of this. Yeah, businesses, uh, both small businesses as well as big businesses, uh, rely on uh, shipping from UPS, FedEx, uh, the Postal Service, and the other competitors. Um, so this, what this has the effect of is throwing a monkey wrench into supply chains. <laughs> we just sort of got these supply chains back up and running normally, and now uh, potentially this is, a, this is a monkey wrench into them. Businesses really rely on this as well as people, you know, at home. I mean, we can all go to the store if we don't find the particular shirt that we want the, the online we can't get. We can go to the store maybe and get it. But businesses don't have that same luxury. Is this only a Teamsters issue? You know, are there other unions involved? And, and how did they get to this point? Well, to take you back, uh, the last strike, 1997, uh, they went out for two weeks. Uh, as I said, it was a bit of a mess, but the contract that was negotiated, that was finally settled on, was not ratified by the majority of the rank and file at UPS. In fact, 54% said no, but there was a provision in the Teamsters bylaws that allowed the then president of the union, James Hoffa, to push it through anyway, and they did. And so workers have been stewing for five years, uh, well, since the last contract, but since then almost, uh, about the way that got handled. And especially now, after having been through the pandemic, worked when a lot of other people weren't working, uh, they felt, you know, we're essential employees, we were out there on the front lines, we need to be compensated for that. And so, not just the Teamsters, but now the pilots union, the folks that fly the, uh, the big jets that do uh, UPS Air, they have voted to go ahead and strike in sympathy as well. Uh, in addition, important to note that the company has been tremendously successful. Last year made $11.5 billion in net income, and that's on revenue of $100 billion. So. You know, the increase in the amount of shipping that gets done has really uh, helped the company coffers. And the workers say, hey, listen, we really need to share in that. We, we worked hard during the pandemic, and we need to take our share of some of those profits. I know you covered the 1997 UPS strike. In terms of issues, what are the biggest differences between that strike and this current dispute? Or are they fighting about the same things all over again? Uh, it's it's mainly the same issues. Again, they didn't feel they got what they had wanted, that they wanted more money back then. Now the focus is really much more on money uh, because actually the union, before the talks broke down, 
the union and the uh, company came to an agreement on the issue of air conditioning. You know, uh, you may not realize it, but I guess you would if you looked, that in those UPS delivery trucks that come to your house, they are not air conditioned. And, you know, those are big brown trucks that sit in the sun. Uh, it's not easy being a UPS driver. So they've agreed, the company has agreed to, on any new trucks they purchase, to put air conditioning in there to give the guys a break. Uh, in addition, they had been forcing uh, some drivers to work overtime against their wishes. Uh, they've agreed not to do that anymore. But really, when it comes down to it, is money and overall treatment. I mean, working conditions seems like a category that's come up more and more since lockdown ended and things, you know, started to come to sort of a new normal. And also, I know one of the issues has been pay for part-time workers. Is UPS one of those companies that the workforce has been changing since the pandemic? Do they have more part-time workers now than they used to? Uh, they do rely heavily on part-time workers. Now, the company would point out that it pays pension benefits uh, as well as health care benefits to its part-time workforce from day one of their hire. They also point out that even though the starting wage for part-time folks is about 16, a little over $16 an hour, that within the first month you can get up to $20 an hour. But at the same time, the uh, union feels that you know, everybody else kind of adjusted to this new normal that you mentioned uh, post-pandemic, where maybe lifestyle was a little bit more taken into consideration. Uh, and they feel that not only did they work through the pandemic when other people were not, but their their lifestyle is, uh, well, it, it hasn't adjusted to that new normal. And maybe it's time to make the workplace a little more friendly. That's their contention now. As I said, the uh, folks at UPS say, hey, listen, we've got industry-leading wages and benefits already. Uh, yeah, we're going to agree to a, uh, some kind of a salary increase, but we can only go so far. I know this is happening amid a backdrop of other big strikes or potential strikes, um, especially in the entertainment industry right now. And for Hollywood writers and actors, oh. artificial intelligence has become a big issue. Is that bleeding into other industries? Is that coming up in this UPS contract well, talks? Well, it's, it's a great question. It is coming up in other industries, but no, you know, UPS, when it comes down to it, the automation of UPS has kind of already been done. You know, back in the day, everybody had to carry packages from here to there, and there wasn't as much mechanization. Uh, technology has really, you know, if you spend time inside a UPS a delivery hub, it's actually pretty sophisticated, and it minimizes uh, you know, human touch on the boxes and deliveries anyway. But then, of course, when it comes to taking it to the house or to the business, that needs to be done by somebody driving a truck. Now, perhaps at some point there might be uh, motorized uh, or I should say uh, driverless uh, delivery trucks, perhaps. They might be able to come up with some way to kind of make that work. But typically when you're delivering to somebody's house and walking up the walk, that's got to be an actual person. So that has not come up in terms of this contract uh, thus far. Could President Biden get involved the way he did to stop a nationwide rail strike, especially since there are potential strikes also facing the airline and auto industries? Well, that puts him in a little bit in a, between a rock and a hard place. The president has, you know, uh, run on his support of labor unions. He was not roundly uh, applauded for his uh, stepping into the rail strike. But in the rail strike, it's important to note that, you know, the National Railway Labor Act actually allows the president to step in. So there was a little bit more 
um, weight on him to take that step. Obviously, no president wants to have the nation's economy crippled during their presidency, and so he took that step there. The union, the Teamsters, have been very vocal in uh, admonishing the president to stay out of this. Uh, I think they feel that they're in a fairly strong position and they don't want somebody walking in and trying to force a settlement. As I said, in 97, they felt that that settlement got forced down their throat. They don't want that to happen again. They really feel that they deserve this. The company is kind of saying, yeah, we, we know we need to raise wages. Um, it's just a question of where that meeting place is. Uh, and so I think it will be really tough for the president to step in unless the economy really begins to grind to a halt and all hell breaks loose. I think he'd rather not. He'd love to have them settle this. And right now, as you may know, we do not have a uh, secretary of the labor. Um, the former secretary, uh, Walsh, Marty Walsh, has stepped down. So there's only an acting secretary right now. He played a big role in the settlement of the railroad strike, so, or the potential of a railroad strike. So... Uh, I don't know where this one's going. Uh, they got a week. That's all we know. The president has called himself the most pro-union president. Is that part of what's driving strikes lately? Or are we having more strikes in general lately? Or does it only seem that way? Well, certainly at the moment, uh, you know, I don't know that that's, uh, that's anecdotal. I don't know that it's, uh, it's a wave. But I do think these things do tend to come in waves. And it may be as uh, the reason for most things are a multiple of, of reasons. Yes, to have a, a president in the White House who is uh, sympathetic to labor unions and who ran and gets the support of labor unions. Yeah, I think that creates an environment perhaps where a strike is perhaps seen as more doable or winnable. But, you know, we came out of the pandemic, too. As you pointed out, there was a sort of an adjustment in a lot of the workplace, uh, workplaces around America uh, in terms of lifestyle. The folks at UPS kind of feel that that wasn't the case. The history, as I outlined, goes back a long way of feeling that maybe they haven't gotten what they needed. And so it's a good question. But right now, you're right. We, we, we've got a lot of labor unrest, and that doesn't sit well with the American public in general, I think. People don't like to see that and have their economy gummed up. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of puts the president, as I said, a little bit rock in a hard place. Fox Business's Jeff Flock in Philadelphia. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lisa. Hey, everyone, it's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? So country music star Jason Aldean is catching all kinds of heat from Democrats over his hit song, Try That in a Small Town. You'd think the Democrats would have better things to do than fight over country music, but now that all the cocaine's gone from the White House, their schedule's wide open. That's a joke, just like this protest. Aldean's song is an absolute middle finger to the criminals who are terrorizing innocent Americans all over our country right now. And if Democrats were smart, they'd be more concerned about the guys committing the violent crimes than the guy who's singing about them. Trust me, you'd rather get cornered by a guy with a guitar than a guy with a gun any day of the week. 
Unless the guy with the guitar is in one of those Dave Matthews cover bands, in which case I'd want the guy with the gun to finish me off two songs in. But back to the real world, where Democrats are framing Aldine's song as a racist call to violence. Hello? The lyrics in this song don't ever mention race once. They mention carjackers, robbers, and rioters, yet for some reason the Democrats just assume he must be singing about black people? It's almost as if they're the ones who might be a little racist. Weird. Now it's true that the song is aggressive in the sense that he's basically singing, Bring it on, dirtbags! But the fact remains there's only a market for this song because there's a ton of dirtbags out there. Take it from me. Woke bail reforms have flooded the streets with violent criminals in big liberal cities like the one I live in. New York is terrible right now. We used to have these famous walking tours where they'd show you the architecture on all the old buildings. We still have them, but they're now called running tours because you're getting chased. I was just in San Francisco and it looks like Gotham City before Batman comes. Except they can't get Batman to show up because they keep calling him Batperson to be more politically correct. Singing about how lawless the country feels doesn't make Jason Aldean racist. It makes him right. Because the truth is everyone of every race would like to see this country feel safe again. But Democrats keep whining about country music because, as always, their priorities are way out of tune. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with me, Jimmy Fallon, weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern on the Fox News app and foxacrossamerica.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.